Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When I woke up this morning, I was feeling pretty dangerous. All right. Yeah. Our roster looks great on paper. Whoop the hell. Whoop the hell. All right. But at the end of the day, we better be a good team. And you start building that during this time of the year. Get your sorry ass up! Get your sorry ass up! Doing a lot of talking with somebody that ain't do shit today. Doing a lot of talking. Do you think you're better than Jarrell Revis is right now? I'm better than you. My 24 years of life, I'm better at life than you. Dang, dang! Time is on the I ain't never seen you before, huh? Back up, Tanner, coach, you need some help. We're gonna expose you, boy. All right, we coming at your ass. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Roundtable. Let's go! Let's go! What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable podcast. Proud members of the Full-Time Fantasy Podcast Network. You can find them at FTFPodNet on Twitter. You can find me at SportsFanaticMB on Twitter. And you can find my co-host for the day, Mr. Matthew Fox, at Nighthawk7734 on Twitter. We are just one of a ton of great podcasts associated with this network, some of which are Jim Day of FF Champs, Corey Parsons and Dr. Roto from SiriusXM Radio, Bob Lung of the award-winning Fantasy Football Consistency Guide, Dwayne McFarland. Blake Sullivan, and a ton of great others, and you can find all of us on FullTimeFantasy.com, your one-stop shop for all of your fantasy news, advice, and strategies. We at the Roundtable are also excited to be partnering with ExpandTheBoxScore.com. You can find them at XTBoxScore on Twitter. They have some of the best baseball, NFL, basketball, and most importantly, college football stats you can find online. College football stats are extremely hard to find and get verified. That's what they do. Some of the best. If you follow me on Twitter and you see all the college football stuff I post, I get all of my stats from their website. For just one year subscription, costs $15. $15 for a year subscription to get advanced stats that they have on all of these uh, these professional leagues and then obviously college football as well. It's just amazing stats. It is well worth the $15. And if you use our code ROUNDTABLE, you get 10% off of that as well. It's the best deal in the industry. If you want to get in on the stats side and see how these products Prospects play out, especially with the 2020 draft coming up. You know, playoffs just ended. It's week 13. If you didn't make it, you want to start looking at some of these players and look at what they did college-wise based on the stats. If you're stats-driven, analytically-driven, check out the website. I promise you will not be disappointed. $15, and you get 10% off with our code ROUNDTABLE when you sign up. For today's episode, Matt will be joining me as always on Monday. We're going to break down a bunch of the games from Sunday, a bunch of the early morning window games, and then we will do the rest of them on Tuesday. Hello! 
And we are back for our Monday show here to recap a bunch of the games from week 13, the final week of the fantasy football regular season. We've got Matt with us. Matt, how you doing today? How was your weekend? My weekend was pretty good. You know, yesterday was kind of uh, kind of fun, you know, watching Drew Locke and enjoying some Thanksgiving leftovers, but uh, then I kind of got hit up with the flu, so I had made a joke about not being ready to go back to work after having last week off. Right. <laughs> uh, this wasn't the delay that I was looking for. Yeah, I can imagine. We were, we were just talking off air, and it's uh, I had it like two weeks ago, and I'm still kind of dealing with the ramifications of it. So, And it's going around like crazy down here. I imagine it's probably going around crazy everywhere, but here in Texas, it's, it's ridiculous how many people are sick right now. So not a not a you know i guess that kind of comes with the holiday season every all the weather's changing really bad and everybody starts getting sick and then unfortunately gets spread to everyone else so part of the year but we will jump in here and take care of half of the games that we saw on sunday uh for week 13 prepare for glory i don't know if you got your popcorn ready you got your popcorn ready I came out the wrong line already. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly. Only they tackle him at the 40-yard line. Who can make a play? I can. Who can make a play? I can. We're going to kick it off with the Green Bay Packers and the New York Giants. The Packers win in this one 31-13. Aaron Rodgers goes 21-33. of 33. Uh, Four touchdowns, no interceptions. Does add 24 yards on the ground to come into QB1 on the week with 28.1 points. Jamal Williams, the best running back on the day. 41 yards on 10 carries, 26 yards on four catches to come in RB28 with 8.7 points. Aaron Jones struggles again, RB41 with 5.1 points in this one. Just 18 yards on 11 carries and 13 yards on four catches. Devontae Adams balls out 20.4 points, 64 yards, six catches, and two touchdowns. And then Alan Lazard actually has a good game as well. Catches all three of his targets for 103 yards and one touchdown. On the Packers side, even with what Lazard did, I still do not trust him moving forward. Receiving-wise, it is just Devontae Adams. But with the running backs, are we worried now? Are you worried about Aaron Jones? It's been a couple bad weeks, and we've really seen Jamal Williams take a big step forward and be a true kind of almost split backfield here with Aaron Jones. He's still getting a lot of work and has been producing. We're moving in now to the fantasy playoffs. Next week is week 14, week one of the fantasy football playoffs. How scared are you of Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams if you own Aaron Jones? Uh, pretty scared. You know, I watched a lot of game action, especially in the early window on Red Zone yesterday, so I got to see a lot of scoring drives. Aaron Jones' day would have looked a little different if his touchdown that he ran for and one that um, it looked like he was pretty close to being in on a screen round had not gotten called back to penalty. Um, so kind of a little bit of unfortunate luck, I think, for him. But he is not super reliable um, in terms of putting up top end scores week to week, and Jamal Williams, you know, when he's there, isn't going anywhere. Uh, I think some of the big games we saw for Jones were when Williams was out with the concussion. So, um, yeah, you know, he he's the biggest home run threat, but he could also kill you like he did yesterday. 
Yeah, I think for, obviously through most of the season, I believe it was all the way up until about week eight when we we previewed kind of or we talked about what had happened in the first half and who we thought might change or stay uh, consistent in the second half. And Aaron Jones was the guy, and I'm pretty sure I've said this before, uh, but was the guy that I thought would drop off. And he was a top five RB, I think, at that point in time. I, I think you have to lower your expectations to an RB2 now. You're right. If he would have scored, obviously, he comes in with 11 points. That's a much better day. Obviously not kind of what you've expected out of him after he was having all those big games, but still much better than five points. But I think you kind of have to now lower your expectations to an RB2, especially with as much as they're using Jamal Williams. On the Giants' side, Daniel Jones, 20-37, 240 yards, one touchdown, and three interceptions. To come in at QB26 with 11.2 points. Saquon Barkley just continues to struggle. RB20, just 13 points in this one. 83 yards on 19 carries. Does add 32 yards on three catches. Sterling Shepard has another good week here. 40 yards on three catches and a touchdown to come in at wide receiver 29 with 11.5 points. Uh, Darius Slayton, 44 yards on six catches. And then Caden Smith, tight end, comes in at tight end 10 this week with 10 points, 70 yards on six catches. I think with what we've seen out of Shepard the past couple weeks now, it does seem like he is finally back to being healthy after all the concussion issues that he suffered earlier in the year. I think he's good to go as a, as a probably middle, low-end flex every single week for you. I mean, Barkley, I think you still have to play him, but I we've talked about this last week, I believe, too. I'm, just, I'm worried about what I'm seeing out of him. I don't know if it's just the offense. How bad the offensive line has looked this year, although it was it was really wasn't great last year and he was still performing. Uh, but he has just not looked the same to me this year at all. Even before the injury, he did not look as like the same player we saw last year. Uh, the big thing I want to talk to you about, though, is Caden Smith. Uh, we don't know when Evan Ingram is going to be back, and we know that tight end is kind of a a cesspool after like the top five candidates at the tight end position. Is Caden Smith someone that you'd be willing to pick up if you own Evan Ingram and, and play every week, especially with this is two weeks in a row now that he's looked good and almost kind of seems to be stepping into that Evan Ingram role with him being out? Yeah, yesterday they were missing Golden Tate. They're also missing Rhett Ellison. And if he comes back, he's still supposed to be number two on the depth chart. I think uh, given what we've seen of the Giants, uh, that's kind of a, a tough swing. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Next up, we're going to do – oh, God, I, was, I forgot this was already up. We're already on the second game. The Browns and Steelers. The Browns played just a god-awful game yesterday. They lose this one 32-13 to the Pittsburgh Steelers. On the Brown side, Baker Mayfield goes 18 to 32, 196 yards, one touchdown, and one interception to come in at QB 28 with 11 points. Kareem Hunt leads the day at running back, RB 13 with 15 points, gets you seven carries for 46 yards, and then gets 19, uh, 19 yards on five catches and a touchdown. Chubb comes in at RB 29 with 8.4 points in this one, 58 yards on 16 carries, and just a one catch for 21 yards. Jarvis Landry, wide receiver, 31 with 10.6 points, 76 yards on six catches. Odell, yet again, just 29 yards on three catches. I mean, I don't, I honestly don't know what to say for the Browns anymore. This was a horrific game. Obviously, if you guys follow me on Twitter, you know uh, I was not posting very nice things about that game. Uh, it was just embarrassing. I know Baker got hurt at the end of the second half with the hand. He came back out there, looked fine. Uh, they're already saying that he'll be fine to play this Sunday against the Bengals, so you don't have to worry about him if, if you're planning or needing to play him this weekend. 
Uh, Beckham, I, I almost want to say Beckham is a sit now at this point. I mean, this is the, I believe, eighth or ninth game in a row that he, or maybe even longer than that, tenth game that he has now not broken over 100 yards. It, it's just ridiculous. He is one of the most talented wide receivers in the league, and they just cannot seem to get this guy the ball. I know we talked about it last week that it kind of feels like Jarvis Landry for fantasy is the guy that you want to play because he just seems to get targeted a lot more and gets open. Maybe, again, that is another thing we talked about last week and just the chemistry and the relationship that those two have with those two having all of last year together as well. We'll see. My big question for you before we move on to the Steelers, how worried are you about Nick Chubb? We've we've seen since Hunt came back that they were both still getting, you know, uh, they're both getting used in the offense, and Chubb was still getting a lot of work. Now, he does out-carry him by nine carries in this one. However, in the second half, Hunt played 65% of the snaps. Like, Hunt was out there a lot. They did a lot of shots. I don't know if you were able to watch this game. Obviously, I was watching the entire game. There was a lot of shots of Chubb just sitting on the bench, and Hunt was out there a lot. We are moving into the fantasy playoffs. This is no, you can't mess around with your lineup anymore. You have to play your best players, and Chubb has been one of the best running backs. He is leading the league in rushing up until this game. Again, only 50 yards or whatever it was. 58 yards is not going to help him stay up there. He might have already dropped down. I don't know, but he was leading the league coming into this week in rushing. If you're a Nick Chubb owner, are you panicking or are you hoping that it was just kind of one bad game? We've seen it before. Freddie kind of moves away from Chubb and then overcorrects the next week. Yeah, I mean, you have to hope that's what it is. Uh, I did look up OBJ for you. The last game he had where he had 100-plus yards was October 13th against Seattle. He went for 101. Oh, okay. And he had one touchdown since week two against the Jets, and that came last week yeah. against Miami. Yeah, I remember the one touchdown uh, thing It's because that's just embarrassing. But That's just my opinion. I'm trying to take my bias out of it because I am not only a Browns fan but a huge Odell fan. So the fact that that dude has been barely over 100 yards, I think he's had one top 12 finish this entire year, which would have been the week, I think it was the week of, with Miami where he scored the touchdown. Like It's just been ridiculous. Well, the Jets, he, he was 10 for 161 or 6 for 161 and a touchdown. Yeah. The, Miami game would have been six for 84 and a touchdown. He was six for 101 against Seattle. I think you're probably right that he's slid to be more of a wide receiver, boom bust wide receiver three. Yeah. Um, for Chubb, I think with the skill set and the talent for Graham Hunt, I feel like game flow a little bit dictated that they were down um, a lot of the game. Uh, trying to come back. I know they, they took a lead early yeah. and then kind of fell off. And I feel like Hunt is the one that they're playing when they're trying to be more up-tempo and try to move down and score. Um, they they weren't finding a lot of good space up the middle either. They still have a nice schedule aside from um, that game with the Ravens, which you know you'd like to think it'll be closer to when they played earlier in the season but yeah i doubt that kind of hard given the trajectory of these two teams but just a tough uh you know a tough beat and you know the way cincinnati looked yesterday that may not be quite as easy uh you know as we've all given it credit for they looked yeah. pretty good when they were too well i mean in fairness to cincinnati i have been saying the entire time that for what it doesn't matter how good the Bengals are or how good the browns are or bad vice versa those two teams always play each other tough. I mean, I can remember back years ago with starting uh, 
not Derek Anderson. I know Derek Anderson played for the Browns. Who am I? Brandon Whedon. We were playing Brandon Whedon as our starting quarterback, who was also just god-awful. I mean, and yet they were still in close games with the Bengals. We always seem to play the Bengals tough and vice versa, so I would not expect that either one's going to be a blowout. Even last year, uh, when uh, Andy Dalton got hurt, and it looked like the Browns were pulling away. It was uh, right after Hugh Jackson went to the Bengals, and Baker was having a big game. And then Jeff Driscoll comes in, and the next thing you know, going into the fourth quarter, it was a seven-point game, and it was Jeff Driscoll of all people. So those two teams always play each other tough. I would not imagine it's going to be a blowout, or at least I hope not a blowout, at least in the Bengals' favor. I wouldn't mind the Browns blowing them out, though. I feel like their playoff chances and everything are pretty much over with after that loss to Pittsburgh. On Pittsburgh's side, they started their fourth-string quarterback, Duck Hodges. And yes, fourth-string, because if you guys don't remember, they did have Joshua Dobbs there before they traded him. So Duck Hodges comes in and, and beats the Cleveland Browns. He goes 14-21, 212 yards, one touchdown, and one interception to come in at QB22 with 11.7 points. Benny Snell, 63 yards and a touchdown on 16 carries to come in at RB19 with 13.2 points. Jalen Samuels, just 22 yards on two catches and 32 yards on seven carries. James Washington, uh, the big play here. Uh, wide receiver, wide receiver eight with 19.1 points, 11, or 11, uh, 111 yards on four catches, catches all four of his catches, targets for one touchdown. Uh, for me, whether it's Duck or Mason Rudolph, I imagine with the win, they're going to stick with Duck Hodges. I, I think the only play you have here is Benny Snell as long as Connor's out. We've just not seen outside of the one game Jalen Samuels do much here. Uh, and I know Washington had a good game, but again, as someone who is watching that game, a lot of it was just pure luck. That touchdown pass, well, I'll give him a ton of credit. Did a great job keeping his eyes on the ball and catching it with two defenders, one hitting him while being pass interfered. So it was a great, but it's one of those plays that you're not going to see every week, if that's a fair assessment to make. I don't know if you saw his touchdown. Uh, but but Duck Hodge just kind of threw it up there. I don't think that was all like a planned throw. Now, the other one down the sideline was a beautiful throw. He made a great catch on that. I don't expect him to continue to produce like this, though, regardless if it's uh, Duck or Rudolph back at the quarterback. What are your thoughts on this Pittsburgh offense moving into Week 14? I think they certainly have to stick with Hodges because he's looked um, better. And I think part of looking better is he is not afraid to take some shots down the field. Um, he did the same thing when he came in in relief last week with James Washington. If you remember, he had that 86-yard uh, go yeah. route. I actually kind of like James Washington okay. in that boom bust, deep league flex, or wide receiver four kind of area. Uh -huh. um, what I'll be curious is if we get Juju and Connor back, you know, what does this offense look like? Uh, you know, is it because that seems to be the big thing that's helping them with Hodges is he is not afraid to try to make some some plays happen. And I think at this point, too, we have to to say pretty much for certainty, it looks like Snell has jumped Samuels on yeah. the depth chart yesterday. That's something about Samuels averaging 2.8 yards per this uh, this season. So, I mean, that's definitely a guy you want to put in your lineup, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, you, if I imagine Snell's still not on the waiver wire. If you can get a hold of him, grab him. If you've got him, I would definitely start him. He, he looks good. Uh, I'm not going to lie. He looks good against the Browns. Uh, and he also have, obviously had a good game last week as well. Next up, we have got the Washington Redskins and the Carolina Panthers. The Panthers are just falling flat on their face here the past couple of weeks. Uh, 
much again like last year. I believe they started out seven and zero last year, and then lost like eight straight or something like that. They they have just not looked good yep. here of late. Washington uh, wins 29-221. Dwayne Haskins, 13-25, 147 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. To come in as QB 31 with 6.5 points. Darius Geis has himself a great game here. 129 yards on 10 carries and two touchdowns, just eight catches on two or eight yards on two catches to come in RB2 on the week with 26.7 points. Adrian Peterson comes through for you as well. RB11 with 15.9 points, 99 yards on 13 carries and one touchdown. And then uh, Kelvin Harmon, actually, which is awesome, in my opinion. I love this kid coming out of college. Uh was a six-round pick. Not a lot of people very high on him. I like that he's continued to get better throughout the season. 51 yards on three catches to come in at wide receiver 52 with six points. Obviously, 6.6 points. Nobody was probably playing him. Uh, but my my bad on Terry McLaurin. I thought he was going to have a good game here uh, in Carolina. At least in, or a wide receiver two week, I believe, is what I said. Just eight yards on two catches. Not a good day for McLaurin at all. Moving into the fantasy playoffs, we talked about it coming back, I believe it was week 11 or 12, when Geis was coming off the IR and you could actually play him. We said... He's obviously got all the talent in the world, and Washington has seemed to committed to running the ball with Coach Callahan. However, we needed to see how he was going to be used before you could trust using him. Now, Peterson did get more carries, but from the parts of the game that I saw, Geis looked by far the better talent on the field. Are we firing Geis up next week or no? Well, next two weeks, first two weeks of the playoffs, he's at the Packers and then home for the Eagles. So, so great matchup, bad matchup. Uh, Packers are not incredible. Uh, no, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a great, but it's, it's hard to it's hard to tell because I would have thought this would have been a bad matchup for him. Um, the Panthers that seem to have a pretty decent defense. Yeah, uh, they got trucked. Uh, Geis definitely looks fresh. He looks excited. He looks like he's having fun out there. He looks a whole lot better than Dwayne Haskins. Um, so I, the thing that would be a concern to me is he's still making most of his points on these big kind of plays. Uh, cause only 10 carries, um, is not exactly the volume and there is no real passing volume for their team in general. I think that's the problem for McLaurin and, I mean, uh, Haskins only threw for 147 yards yesterday. So if guys can still bust off some big ones or get into the end zone, um, or if we start seeing some signs that Adrian Peterson is going to cede more work, right now they're on a pretty even split, which is a little concerning if you're trying to rely on somebody in the playoffs. Yeah, I think... If it's me, if, if you have to pick between the two, I'm taking guys just based on the talent. And, and as you said, I think he has a better chance of breaking off the big runs than Peterson. Uh, but Peterson is really kind of getting just a few more carries than him a game. It, for me, it would be hard to start him. Now, I, I started him uh, this week uh, in a league I knew I wasn't going to make the playoffs, so I just plugged him into my flex spot just to kind of see what he would do. And obviously, he came through for me. But uh, if you're moving into Week 14, I would – Depending on the depth of your league and your other options at flex, I wouldn't mind starting him this week in a flex spot because I do think Green Bay can obviously get run on next week against the Eagles. That's a little bit of a different story, uh, or two weeks away from when they play the Eagles. But uh, Green Bay, they've given up a lot on the ground, and with what I saw out of guys yesterday, I would not be surprised if they don't start moving more and more toward him with these last couple weeks to kind of see more of what 
I at least I hope is going to be the future running back of that franchise. On the Panthers side here, Kyle Allen, 27 to 46, 278 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception to come in as QB3 with 26.3 points. CMC breaking news has a, a subpar game in this one, which I guess it was meant to happen eventually. This is the first game I think he's finished outside the top 12. Just 44 yards on 14 carries and then seven catches for 58 yards. Uh, DJ Moore is now a wide receiver one on the season, so he is balled out. I think that's very quietly as well. If you own DJ Moore, you know he's doing good, but I did not, I personally did not realize how high he is in wide receiver scoring until today. I believe he's sitting at number 10 right now, uh, which is just ridiculous. I knew he was having a good season. I did not know it was that good. Finishes this week as wide receiver 14 with 16.2 points, 75 yards on six catches and a touchdown. And then, of course, on Friday, me and Dennis both said not to play Curtis Samuel because you just couldn't trust him. He was too boom-bust. Well, he boomed for you this week if you played him. One touchdown on four catches and 65 yards to come in at wide receiver 17 with 14.5 points. I mean, I, I kind of feel like all that talk, uh, I know we weren't saying it here on this podcast, but obviously there was a lot of other people talking about how Cam Newton's time in Carolina was over and it was going to be the Kyle Allen show moving forward. kind of feel like they're going to smooth things over with Cam in the offseason and make sure he comes back to Carolina because the Kyle Allen has really kind of fallen on his face since that news came out. Uh, I, I do think regardless of how bad he's been playing, he did miss CMC wide open. I think it was on the third down play. Yeah, the third down play before he got the big sack that ended up costing him the rest of the game in the fourth fourth down play. Uh, wide open in the right side of the end zone, just standing there, uh, which would have actually won them the game, obviously. I think moving forward, it's just more in CMC. I know Samuel had a good game here, but I personally cannot trust throwing him in my lineup. What about you? Yeah, no, I to- totally agree. I think a bigger question, too, for Carolina is what is this going to do to Ron Rivera? Because like you said, it's been a few seasons since Super Bowl 50. Yeah. Uh, we have not seen them be consistently competitive, and this is two years in a row now where they kind of came out hot, put themselves in position for the playoffs, and seem to have totally faded down the backside. Uh, you know, different quarterbacks, different situations, but the same kind of result. So, um, you know, I think a lot of people could be playing for jobs in Carolina. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I'm someone who's a big fan of Ron Rivera. I think he's a really good coach, really good defensive coach. I, I honestly, as much as it pains me to say this, I would imagine this is probably going to be his last year in Carolina. I think a lot of people thought that last year with the way the year went, uh, and that's why they ended up, you know, kind of putting Cam Newton. I, I don't think they put him on IR at the end of last year, but he did get ended up getting benched due to injury, not because of play, even though he wasn't playing that good because of the injury. Same thing here again, maybe. That saves his job because he can kind of make the argument, well, you know, we're good when we have Cam, even though they didn't start out this year good. Uh, I think they were 0-3 or 0-2 until Kyle Allen came back out. Their defense just imploded yesterday and yeah. at home against a two-win Washington team playing a rookie quarterback. I mean, if that's your forte and that's the kind of effort and performance you put up, you know, that's going to lead to a lot more questions. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. I I don't. I would imagine it's going to be very hard for him to keep his job. I could be wrong. Uh, new owner that came in last year, I believe, David 
David Tepper uh, came in and bought yep. the Carolina Panthers. Yep. So after the whole Jerry Richardson thing, so maybe I could be wrong. This is only, I guess, technically his second year with Ron Rivera, but I'd imagine with two bad years in a row with the way it's gone, uh, Rivera could be out of it. Because that was another reason why they lost the eight straight last year is their defense really kind of fell off last year. It wasn't necessarily the offense, but there it was their defense. And I remember at the end, I think it was – Right around this time, actually, week 13 or 14, Ron Rivera took back over play calling duties on defense uh, because the defense was so bad, and yet they, they still ended up missing the playoffs and everything. So definitely something to watch the moving forward. The only thing that be in his favor is Tepper came out of that Pittsburgh Steelers organization. And yeah. Obviously, historically, they've been reticent to make uh, quick coaching changes. I know he seems to like Ron Rivera, and I think Ron Rivera has been a good coach. I was more surprised – to be honest, that they were a playoff contender with Kyle Allen yeah. than with what really happened uh, at the end of the season in the preseason predictions. I think the biggest difference between us was I thought if they didn't have a healthy Cam Newton, they were going to really struggle, and they managed to overcome that a little bit. Um, you just you can't always keep that going when people figure yeah. you out. Yeah, yeah, they, they, it's been, like I said, it's been, it's, it's funny. They were still in the playoff race. And I, I mean, I can't remember. I think they still had a winning record up until the point when everybody talked about it, like all the news came out, especially it was because of how well Kyle Allen was playing. It was like all of a sudden, Hey, maybe they're going to move on from Cam Newton. Maybe he gets traded to Denver. Maybe he gets traded to, uh, it wasn't Jacksonville. I'm trying to remember who the other team was, Miami or something like that. And then all of a sudden Kyle Allen just fell on his face. And it has been bad. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with them, whether they keep Ron Rivera or not. Uh, I do think they have a lot of great weapons on the offensive side. That defense has really been struggling here, though, in the second half of the season. Speaking of offenses struggling, the New York Jets went into Cincinnati and put up a whopping six points against a, a team that had not won a game so far this year. Cincinnati gets their first win, beating the Jets 22-6. The Jets side, Sam Darnold, after coming off two good starts, goes 28-48, 239 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, coming to QB 29 with 10.5 points. Le'Veon Bell, who I thought was going to be a top wide receiver two this week, uh, did nothing. 35 yards on four catches and then 32 yards on 10 carries. Just a really bad day for Bell. RB 27 with 8.7 points. But Robbie Anderson comes through, so I'm glad I didn't do the pie bet with Dennis on him and Jamison Crowder because he would have won that one. 101 yards on seven catches for Anderson to come in at wide receiver 22 with 13.6 points. I kind of feel like uh, Anderson, is is he worth possibly starting next week? Because you go back and look at last year, and once December hit, all of a sudden Robbie Anderson turned into a superstar. Well, December hit yesterday, and guess what? Robbie Anderson's starting to look like a superstar again. Maybe he just only knows how to play football in December. Yeah, kind of three weeks where he gives you some kind of return in a row. I know the first one, he only had one for six, but it was for a touchdown. So if you played him, you, you still get 7.6 points. Can I just say, I I really hate the Jets. The Jets and the Chargers <laughs> have to be the two teams that I whiffed on the hardest preseason. And it's because I didn't realize how how terrible uh, and dysfunctional this Jets team would be or that Phillip Rivers was dead. Yeah. Well, I don't think anybody saw the Phillip Rivers thing coming. I really feel like all of us were sitting there talking about because it was last year that the the Chargers were sitting there with the Chiefs four. fighting. Yeah, twelve and four, best yeah. tied for best record in the AFC. But for the Jets, really frustrating 
Le'Veon Bell, I think, is an RB4. I love him as much as anyone, but if he's not going to do it against the Bengals, when do you yeah. imagine he's going to do it? I know they play uh, the Dolphins, but who can even tell? They lost, I'm pretty sure, to the Dolphins the first time they played, so uh, I don't hold out a ton of hope there. Uh, it was weird because for three weeks it seemed like it was Crowder and Griffin and Demarius Thomas were the only guys that Sam Darnold had eyes for, and now the last two weeks he seems to only have eyes for Robbie Anderson. I don't know if it's matchups, if they're just getting back into a groove. But I think it's going to continue to be a little frustrating. Anderson certainly has probably the most boom. Yeah, for sure. Capability. But I don't know what about seeing the Jets this season would make you feel excited in any way to have to rely on any of them in the playoffs. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a real bummer. Um, you know, we waited a whole year, a lot of us in Dynasty, to get Bell back. Yeah. And we're still waiting. Yeah, that is true. And I mean, I would say some of it on the Chargers thing, as I was saying, we all kind of bought into that. I mean, I'm pretty sure I picked them to win that division because I thought the Chiefs defense was going to be just as bad this year as it was last year. Patrick Mahomes regressed just enough that the Chargers would end up taking that leap forward. I I couldn't even tell you what's going on with that. I don't think anybody could predict it. Pay, uh, oh my, I almost called him Peyton Manning, but Philip Rivers having a Peyton Manning like fall off there, like just falling off a cliff. Like he was not bad last year, but he was he was good. He wasn't great. He was a very good quarterback. He was putting up numbers. And he's just falling off a cliff this year. On the Jets side, the one thing I will say is I really want to know how much the mono thing played into it because once he came back, he did start to look good again and then obviously had a, a clunker here against Cincinnati. But everybody has a bad game every once in a while. So I would really wonder how much different this team would look had Sam Darnold not gotten the mono and they played uh, and he had played out because I would almost say they'd have at least a couple more wins. I think they easily would have beaten the Browns back in week two or three, whatever that was, if he doesn't get the mono. There's probably a couple other games in there they win. So I think that part plays a little bit into it, but I'm with you. If I'm a Bell owner, I don't own Bell. Uh, in any leagues, but I would be seriously worried about what I'm seeing out of him so far this season because everybody was expecting, all right, a year off, coming back into an offense that's supposed to be high-powered with the with Darnold, this offensive line. You got Adam Gase as your coach, and, and he has really just not done much of anything. Well, and the Jets, you know, the Bills are having the season I thought the Jets were going to have. I, I had correctly projected preseason that I thought there was going to be one of those young teams in the AFC East that was going to climb the ladder and be a playoff contender. It's just definitely Buffalo. The the thing that's confounding and frustrating, I guess, for me the most with the Jets is they win games like with the Cowboys coming into New York and just blowing them out. And then they lose games that should be an easy layup like in Cincinnati. So that's, that's where it's been, you know, a struggle. Well, I think some of that, and and I don't think this is unfair to say, I think that that falls on the head coach. I really do. And I was not someone who thought Adam Gase would be a good hire here. I didn't understand when they made it to begin with. I have nothing against Adam Gase. I think he's a very good offensive mind. Uh, but a lot of people like to talk about him being the the offensive you know guru or quarterback guru. And I know we've had this conversation before. But you go back and look at some of the quarterbacks that he's had when he was having these great years, and outside of one with Tim Tebow, it's been like Hall of Fame quarterback. So for me, 
I don't think he's quite as great as other people make him out to be. I didn't think it was a good hire, and, and that's why I, you know, I say the same thing about Freddie Kitchens. He doesn't get the Browns ready to go, in my opinion. It's a head coaching thing. I would say the same thing here for Gase. You get your team up for a game like the Cowboys. You have to do the same thing in a game against the Bengals. It may not be a, mean a big deal, but you have to make it seem like a big deal because what happened to them is embarrassing. Well, and based on what we're seeing with Ryan Tannehill, who we'll talk about in a minute, yeah, what he's done. Uh, in Tennessee, with the with the good head coach and Mike Vrabel, um, you know, Gase missed pretty big time wow. with Ryan Tannehill, I'd say, because he basically thought he was a washout, and that was a, a lot of the excitement for the Jets was we're going to see Sam Darnold take a big leap forward, and yeah. sure the mono doesn't help, but you know, we gave Sam Darnold Le'Veon Bell, we gave Sam Darnold Jamison Crowder and Robbie Anderson, we gave Sam Darnold. You know, Adam Gase. Now, I will say a lot of the criticism has been that their offensive line functionally doesn't exist, and that can really take a lot out of everything. Yeah, uh, but true. Gase has not delivered on the promise. Yeah, and I mean, just to just to keep on the bash Gase minute here, uh, I mean, you also could look at, when you mentioned Ryan Tannehill, uh, look at what Devontae Parker's doing in Miami now all of a sudden. He was considered a complete bust not even just a year ago uh, with what we had seen at him and Adam Gase's offense, what Kenyon Drake has done over in Arizona. I mean, they did everything they could to keep that guy off the field. And then he's looked exactly like what a lot of us who believed in Kenyon Drake and thought he could be has done everything. And then some in Arizona with a coaching staff that is willing to give him the ball. So, while I do agree with you, probably some of it has to do with the offensive line. And then as I, as I mentioned, the mono thing doesn't help. Uh, I mean, i don't think it'll happen, but I would not be surprised if Adam Gase is another one of those coaches that might be gone after one year with just how bad the Jets have looked at times. On uh, Cincinnati's side here, they have a rookie head coach who gets his first win, got a little bit of a Gatorade bath there. Um, probably sucked for him to have to wait all the way till week 13, but to get a win, at least you're not going 0-16, which is what I was hoping for for Cincinnati. I think we actually talked about it last week when the Dalton news came out. I said it's perfect timing because they need to get that one win to not go 0-16, and they got it. Andy Dalton goes 22-37, 243 yards and a touchdown to come in at QB 20 with 13.3 points. Joe Mixon, RB 14 with 15 points, 44 yards on 19 carries and a touchdown, adds 26 yards on four catches. And then Tyler Boyd comes in at wide receiver 18 with 14.4 points, 59 yards, one touchdown on five catches. Auden Tate, 66 yards on four catches as well. With Dalton being back, I, I honestly think you can play Boyd and Mixon now with a lot more comfort or, or a lot more trust. I think both those Boyd has been you know, good here and there with Finley. Uh, but with Dalton, he's always seemed to have those wide receiver two games, and I firmly think he's a really good wide receiver two. I think you can plug him in your lineup every week. Joe Mixon, I think, is back to being a, a fairly good running back again. He's not going to be that wide receiver one you took him at in your drafts, but he does seem to be finishing as a high-end RB2 most weeks now here lately. And then Auden Tate, uh, you know, he looks good. Uh, he obviously had a little bit of the health scare. I think it was two weeks ago now. Uh, but I think he's looked really good as well. It will look good with Finley and with Dalton. I think he's a very good uh, low-end flex play, especially in deeper leagues. What do you think about this Cincinnati offense now moving back to the Red Rifle? Um, I think you're right. We like uh, all the, the weapons a little bit better. You have a little more excitement for them with Dalton. And for Dalton, he has a lot of uh, encouragement to play well. You know, he's auditioning for other teams as well. It seems pretty clear that the Bengals are going to take 
a new quarterback. Uh, Finley, obviously not the answer. Andy Dalton, you have to feel, was not their long-term answer. That's part of the reason they went and looked at Finley. They're still on track to have the number one pick, although ironically the three worst uh, record teams in the NFL all pulled off victories yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> so much thanking. Uh, but, you know, Andy's, Andy's trying to audition for them. I think the biggest question for Tate and Boyd is A.J. Green. Um, you know, A.J. Green, it seemed like a few weeks ago when Ryan Finley was his quarterback, there was no chance he was coming back this season. And um, it's amazing how just seeing that little redheaded guy out there made A.J. Green more optimistic about his ankle yeah. and his prospects. <laughs> uh, so if he comes back, you know, he and Dalton have had chemistry for so many years. I know he hasn't played in, in a long time, but you have to figure Dalton's going to look that way. He's going to yeah. try to get him the ball. You know, and Green could be playing and auditioning. You know, he could want to come back to audition for another team, too. I think there's a lot of uncertainty, aside from Mixon, who's still – got a few years on that rookie deal somebody that you know they're gonna they're gonna keep and build around they're probably happy with boyd tate as potential guys they can build around alex erickson has shown some things at times this season i think it could be the old guard guys andy dalton and aj green who are looking at other places to play next year and that can give them some encouragement to try to get something done yeah i mean i i would just as a someone as an outside observer here I would be perfectly fine running into next season with Auden Tate and Tyler Boyd as your wide receivers. They've looked good. Erickson has looked good at times. Uh, and personally, someone who thinks A.J. Green, one of the classiest guys in the league, uh, I would love if they did let him go and, and let him kind of decide if he wants to go somewhere else. I'm not saying he wants to leave Cincinnati, uh, but give him a shot to possibly end up on a contender because he is one of the best wide receivers in the league, and we've just unfortunately kind of seen him stuck in Cincinnati for a very long time. I'd love to see him get a shot somewhere else if that is what he wants. Yeah, the only thing that will suck is seeing 43-year-old Tom Brady out there with A.J. Green next year. Yeah, but, I mean, at least he'll have somewhat of a chance to get a Super Bowl ring, right? So, you know, his fantasy value will suck, but maybe he gets that ring, and that's all that matters. At least for them, not for us. Uh, next up, we've got the Titans and the Colts. The Titans continuing their bid to possibly make the playoffs again this year. 31-17 win over the Colts. Ryan Tannehill, 17-22, 182 yards and two touchdowns to come in as QB. Uh, my goodness, I just lost it here. QB... 16 with 15.8 points. Derrick Henry continues to dominate. RB3 with 23.10 points. 149 yards and a touchdown on 26 carries. Added 17 yards in the receiving game. Uh, and then Raymond, or Khalif Raymond is the best wide receiver, mostly because of the touchdown. Just gets the one catch on the one target for 40 yards and a touchdown. Two come in at wide receiver 32 with 10.5 points. A.J. Brown 45 yards on three catches. I really think as good as this Tennessee Titan team is NFL-wise, the only player you're playing from here on out is Derrick Henry. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I'd still uh, look at Tannehill and Superflex. Yeah, I agree with you on that, yeah. pretty careful with the ball, and he's been a decent threat to run. He didn't have a lot of run yesterday. Uh, but, you know, considering the state of some of our Superflex quarterback options, uh, he's not a bad one. 
Yeah, it's going to be very interesting conversations in the offseason and what we think might happen with Tannehill because I think with what he's done this year, if you really go back and look at his years in Miami when he was healthy, he played a lot like this on these Miami teams. I think a lot of people forget that Miami made the playoffs and they were a playoff team because of what he did until he got injured. He's been a very good quarterback. Uh, obviously, not you know he's not an elite-level quarterback, but I think he falls in that good-level quarterback uh, when he is healthy, he might, if he doesn't stay in Tennessee, might be earning his way toward a decent contract with somebody. Uh, Nick, wouldn't it be hilarious if he ends up going back to Miami after Adam Gase and all? Well, no, Brian Flores. It was Brian Flores in that group that traded him, right? It wasn't Adam Gase. Yeah, I'd, I don't see him going back there. I think Tennessee makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. They've played well enough that they're not going to get a top-tier uh, quarterback. Yeah. And while Ryan Tannehill will get a nice little payday, I don't think he's going to be on quite that elite pay level. And he's a guy that seems to fit their system. Now, the only bummer about that for us is, while he's been a great NFL quarterback, it just we have not gotten consistent sustainment of any of these wide receiving weapons. Yeah. Uh, a real bummer. I mean, if you, I don't even know what you're doing with Corey Davis in Dynasty. Nothing. Putting them on your bench and hoping hoping they somehow get somehow to a falls of them with the injury. That would be my only guess. On the Colts side, Jacoby Brissett goes twenty five of forty, three hundred and nineteen yards, one touchdown, and two interceptions to come in at QB seventeen with fourteen point seven points. Naheem Hines RB twenty two with eleven points, twenty two yards on four carries, and a touchdown adds eighteen yards on two catches. Zach Pascal, wide receiver 19 with 14.4 points, 109 yards on 7 catches, and then Jack, uh, Jack Doyle, 73 yards on 6 catches and a touchdown tight end 3 with 16.3 points. It sucks because uh, the Colts have obviously been playing really good football here uh, most of the season, and then they've just got hit with a wave of injuries here the past three, four weeks. They're missing like their entire running back core now. They're almost all their wide receivers. It's just been ridiculous. With that being said, I think obviously if you want to go super flex-wise, Jacoby Brissett, you can still start. He's still giving you decent points. Uh, but outside of him, I think it's just Jack Doyle at, at tight end, especially with Ebron going down. He seems to be back to that guy we saw a couple years ago. Uh, is there anybody else you would trust on this offense playing? Yeah, no, I agree with that. Yesterday I rode the Jonathan Williams uh, train. I think we had discussed this in our chat. Uh, I was one of those who uh, saw David Blau and decided to put Kenny Galladay on the bench on yeah. Thanksgiving home for Detroit. And uh, I really enjoyed my 3.5 points from Jonathan Williams. Uh, they just, you know, maybe when Marlon Mack uh, is back, um, supposedly he was working on the side this last week. My question is whether they're even going to try to bring some of these guys back because while they're six and six, and for our good friend Tony, we would like to hold out hope for them. Yeah, losing two of three in this brutal division stretch that was going to be kind of a make or break it for the playoffs seems to me to be kind of a red flag that this just is not going to be their year. Especially, I love Adam Vinatieri, but he needs to retire. Yeah, I'm it's with you on that. 
Well, hey, if it, if it makes you feel any better on the Kenny Galladay things, you know I benched him as well. I mean, I benched him for Jamison Crowder. He got me a whopping 2.8 points, and I lost the matchup I needed to secure the buy. So I'm right there with you. I also sat Ken, Keenan Allen because I thought Chris Harris was going to shut him down. I put Devonta Freeman in for him and got 10.4. So, you know, Keenan Allen with that 18, I only lost by 12 points. So I would have easily won and uh, been rocking a two seed right now. But instead, I get to play next hey. week and probably lose. Did you see how Keenan Allen scored that touchdown? I did not actually. That is one of the, I have the the all the so, games that we don't have on here today. I have my highlights already up on the computer to watch everything that happened. It appeared that Chris Harris Jr. was having so much fun trash talking Philip Rivers uh-huh. that he didn't realize that they had gone to man to man and off of a zone and not on zone. And he was the only player in the secondary that backed out and played a zone covering his corner. Yeah, nice. Allen was his man and went across the formation. That's that's at least that's what it looked like in both live time and in the replay. And they made a couple of comments about that. Fortunately, it didn't end up costing him a game. But I was sitting right. there like, yeah, that's about right. The yeah. Best. <laughs> so, yeah, especially like if you had fantasy interest. Yeah, if if uh, if that would end up costing him the game, I imagine uh, that would have been all over the radio and everything today. But the Broncos did end up winning it. You know, luckily for you, I guess is the way to put it. It's, it's nice to see. But listen, I saw some of that game. We were talking about the Drew Lock and Cortland Sutton touchdown there in the beginning, which was just beautiful. I'm looking forward to talking about them on tomorrow's episode. So next up, we have another game that was just extremely confusing to me on how it happened. Game of the day. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, the Eagles found a way to lose. So much. What's up? I think every play of this game was on red zone. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. I was I was flipping back and forth between the Browns and Steelers and red zone, and I was watching, obviously, a bunch of this stuff go down. So I was super excited about how good Miles Sanders was looking for the, for the most part, and I was talking about yeah. on Friday's podcast, I thought he was going to have another great game here against Miami, and then, you know, the Eagles and Cowboys are just doing everything they can to give each other the division, and neither one of them is doing anything to try and take it and run with it. It's just been ridiculous. The Eagles lose here to the Dolphins, 31 to 37. Carson Wentz, 28 to 46, uh, 310 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception to come in at QB five with 25.4 points. Miles Sanders, RB five on the on the week with 19 points, 83 yards on 17 carries, and gets 22 yards on five catches and a touchdown. Alshon Jeffrey, who credit to Dennis, he said if he plays, you've got to play him because he should have a really good game here. Wide receiver two on the week with 24.2 points, 137 yards, a touchdown on nine catches. Had a beautiful grab at the end of that game there on the sideline. Uh, was just, uh, I mean, Alshon Jeffrey, which you could tell was clearly injured as well because there was a lot of times I saw him limping around, balled out here in this one against Miami. Uh, and then Dallas Goddard comes in at tight end 11 in this one. He gets you 66 yards on six catches and comes in as tight end 11 with 9.6 points. For Philly, I mean, we talked about it last week. They have a bunch of cake matchups. So this was the beginning of them. They obviously have Dallas, I think, in two weeks now. Uh, but they have got uh, interesting games here. They got the Giants and the Redskins, which should be two games you can put up fantasy points. I just don't know who you can trust. I mean, again, Alshon, I guess if he's back and healthy, you've got to play him. We know Zach Ertz was out in this one. Why Goddard kind of took a step forward, though Goddard's been playable all season. Uh, and then I really love what I saw out of Miles Sanders. So I, you're starting those three, I would assume, every single week now moving forward, correct? 
Well, Sanders, I think it's going to depend on uh, Jordan Howard. Oh, that, yeah, yeah. That impacted, because uh, Sanders still seems to be the, the preferred receiving option, but uh, five for 22 and a touchdown is an incredible volume. What helps leaven him a little bit is he got 17 carries for 83 yards. So if he's more of a carry split, that becomes a little bit more of a concern. Uh, but, you know, Ertz, Goddard, uh, Jeffrey, they're all, I think, playable. Who knows what to make of the Eagles? All they have left is division games. They have two with yeah. the Giants, the Redskins, and the Cowboys. The NFC East is definitely the NFC least. Yes. So uh should be still good, but you would have thought this was an easy layup, and they started out pretty yeah. solid. Uh, and Carson Wentz played pretty well. Their defense and their absolute lack of pass defense is been a problem all season and is really coming back to bite them. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> when you go through and look at the NFC divisions and the way some of these teams are, and then you go in and look at the NFC East, and technically now Philly has the inside track. Uh, they, are, they control their own destiny. If they win out, they win the division. It doesn't matter what the Cowboys do now because they will get the chance to play the Cowboys and they have a better in, uh, I think it's in-conference record uh, than the Cowboys. So if the Philadelphia Eagles win out, meaning they have to beat the Cowboys obviously in two weeks, they would actually end up winning the NFC East and they're sitting at 5-7 and seven right now. Not even a chance of making a wild card. There's literally no shot that they make a wild card or get a wild card spot, yet they can still win their division. It's just ridiculous. And host a playoff game. Yeah, that's the even worse part. Could, could you imagine? Obviously we have Minnesota and Seattle going tonight. Say Seattle wins and then if the playoffs were to end and whatever and, and Philly ends up winning, could you imagine that Philly is going to end up hosting the San Francisco 49ers who could end up being like 12 and 12 and 3 or whatever it is, 12 and 4? Like it's going to be ridiculous that one of those teams, the the Seahawks or the Vikings or I mean both of them or for for the 49ers or the Packers because those seem to be that's the four that are fighting. In, yeah. That's what happened in the AFC last year. The yeah. Chargers who we're talking about were 12 and 4 tied for the best record in the AFC, but they unfortunately were tied with the Chiefs and, and lost the tiebreaker. So they yeah. ended up a fifth seed traveling to Baltimore, who kind of rallied with the late run. You know, people forget with how they've looked now, but last year they barely 9 and 7 squeaking into the playoffs. So it was a big question which of those three NFC, AFC North teams was going to get in. Yeah. So it feels like it happens every year. I know people were agitating today that they need to talk about reseeding. I think that's just the way it goes in the nature of divisional play. Divisions ebb and flow. Uh, this yeah. isn't the year for the AFC East, but I mean, the Eagles won the Super Bowl two years ago. So, Yeah, um. I, I, I'm not that big on the reseeding thing because like, the one thing I'll, I'll say is I remember back, and I can't remember what years. I want to say it was like 2010-ish maybe, 2011, when the Seahawks actually won the division. I think it was 7-9 and nine or 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah. And they hosted the New Orleans Saints, and that was when you had the Beast Quake. Like, you had one of the best yeah. playoff runs of all time. And that was a team that, if you reseeded, they obviously want to see. I mean, that, I remember, you still can look at it this day. I believe it, like, set off a Richter scale or something like that, they said, because of how loud the stadium got during that run. So, you know, it is what it is. I don't. I don't even think it happens every year. It's probably like an every other year thing. And even even if the the Eagles make it in, they're likely going to be like eight and eight, or they'll have to be nine and seven because they have to win out. I, I believe was the stat. They have to win out. So you're looking at either they're going to be six. So you could have two eight and eight teams, and if they beat the Cowboys, they could probably still get in. Yeah, they just I cannot believe this division. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's hilarious to think that when we talked about this in the offseason, I mean, we knew this division was going to be bad, uh, especially with the Giants. And I, I mean, I was higher on the Redskins. Obviously, that did not work out the way I thought it was going to be. I thought they were going to be closer to like a 500 team. Uh, but we all had the Cowboys and the Eagles, and we all talked about it was going to be these two fighting, but we all talked about them both having like nine or ten wins. And it, they're not even – I mean, obviously, they're going to come close to the nine wins part, but it just doesn't look like they're going to be that dominant. So it's, Somebody it's insane. Somebody has to get hot on the stretch. That's basically what's going to happen. You know, it's so crazy. The three and nine Redskins have not been eliminated from the playoffs, yeah. I believe, because they're in that division. Yep. Yeah, they could technically. I believe they have to win out. Obviously, they need some other help as well. But if they won out and then got some help, they could obviously make the playoffs as well. It's crazy. It's crazy how bad that division is. I keep wondering why the Browns can't be in the NFC East right now because they 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 still have a shot. The Dolphins, uh, they continue to win games, and uh, I mean, maybe they bring Ryan Fitzpatrick back again next year because they're not going to be able to draft a quarterback that high in the draft now. Uh, or, well, I guess technically they could. They're only 3-9. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, 27-39, 365 yards, three touchdowns, and one interception to come in as QB2 with 27.8 points. Uh, Patrick Laird here comes in at running back with uh, Kalen Balazs getting hurt. Five uh, five yards on 10 carries and one touchdown gets 43 yards on four catches to come in as a, a running back 15 with 14.8 points. Devontae Parker, wide receiver one with 31.4 points in this one, 159 yards, two touchdowns, and seven catches. And then Mike Gesicki, 79 yards on five catches and one touchdown, tied in two with 16.4 points. I got to give it to you and Dennis. You guys have, have been kept, kept saying that you need to play guys like Gesicki because they kind of fall in that second tier of tight end. Uh, he has definitely come through for you at this point. It's probably too late for me to jump on that train, but I would do the same thing as well. Uh, for me, I still think it's just Devontae Parker outside of Gesicki, obviously, that you can play every week. Do you have any thoughts on Laird now with Balaj likely going to be out? I, I personally don't think I could take a shot on him. Would you? No, he's, I'm staying away from all the Miami running backs. They can't really generate anything on the ground. Their leading rusher yesterday was Albert Wilson, the wide receiver, on a couple of end-arounds. Uh you know, and I don't know that you can consistently count on Laird or any of them getting receptions, which is really what boosted him yesterday. Because you yeah. know, aside from getting a touchdown where he fell in the end zone, he would have had what six point five points if you don't have the passing game. And I just don't think there's enough passing game consistency of the teams that we that we have uh, kind of up at the that top echelon of the draft. I still think Miami's definitely going to take a quarterback, but I. I could see the wisdom in bringing back a, a Fitzpatrick. I think we've seen a couple of these teams have done well putting a veteran out there to start the season and not yeah. throwing a rookie to the Wolves on it. But, you know, nobody thinks Miami is going to be a one-year rebuild, same way Cincinnati's not going to be a one-year kind of rebuild. So it doesn't hurt to have uh, somebody else out there to take it. And I actually think Ryan Fitzpatrick, I've ridden him a couple of weeks now in the Superflex. You know, you can. There's always a chance he's going to murder you with like four interceptions. Yeah, but he's a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, if I'm a, if I'm in the Miami front office, you know what? I mean, this is definitely stuff we can talk about when the off season comes. But I re-signed Ryan Fitzpatrick to a one, maybe even two year deal, and I'm taking, I'm taking Tua. 
Let him sit. Let him sit all next year and get that hip completely healthy. I, I am one of the biggest Justin Herbert fans you can find, but he has really not helped his draft stock. I could not imagine that he gets drafted two or three or four, whatever Miami finishes in the draft. Uh, but Tua, I mean, I, I'm not someone who's a big believer in Tua, but I know a lot of people who think he is going to be phenomenal at the NFL level. You know he can't play for a year, so bring back Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's been more than what, more than good enough for your offense. Bring him back. Let him play out the year. Let Tua sit there and study, learn the offense, get fully healthy, and then give him give him the ball and let him run in 2021. All right, the last game for us today: the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 28 to 11, or beating the Jacksonville Jaguars, 28 to 11. A weird game here, as the defense is really the one that does everything outside of the running game for the Buccaneers. Jameis Winston, 21 of 33, 268 yards, comes in at QB 21 with 12.7 points. Peyton Barber, RB6 with 18.4 points, 44 yards on 17 carries and two touchdowns, and then Brashad Perriman is the best. Best wide receiver on the day with 87 yards on five catches to come in at wide receiver 30 with 11.2 points. O.J. Howard has a big day, 61 yards on five catches, but then Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Evans gets 11 targets, only catches four passes for 53 yards. Godwin, six targets, catches uh, four of them for 50 yards. I don't even want to talk about Ronald Jones. I, th- I feel like I'm finally done with him. I'm, I'm getting off that train. I'm going to stop at the bus stop. I'm going to wait for my next guy because, my God, that was a disappointing performance. Just eight yards on six carries does absolutely nothing in the receiving game. It might finally be time to uh, unhook my my hitch here. I'm sorry? Um, According to Arians, he got pulled. He missed a blitz pickup, Uh and that was it. Ah, Arians said you missed a blitz pickup. You cannot play for me. And that is why he got yanked and was not allowed to return. Which, if that's the kind of leash that he's on as the number one running back, he's not reliable for fantasy playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I can't wait to hear what Dennis has to say about him on Friday's show because we were talking about how he has to, he had to rely on him this week uh, for a, a crucial matchup. And I was like, he's going to get at least 13 points. I can feel it. And he fell a little bit short of that. Just a little bit short. So He got at least 13 yards, right? Oh, wait, maybe. No, he didn't. No, just eight. Just eight. He fell a little bit short of that 13 yards, too. That's what I'm going to tell Dennis I meant. So I was at least a little bit closer on that statement. Uh, but with that being said here, I mean, you obviously have to trust Evans and Godwin. You can't bench him. Even though Ed, Evans, in my opinion, has been 10 times more frustrating than Godwin, uh, you can't bench him because they, they can go off any single week. Outside of those two, though, are you trusting I'm Perriman or whatever with Perriman? We know we're not playing him, but Barber, since it looks like he's probably going to go back into the running back one spot now, are you trusting him? you trusting Howard after, two, uh, after a big game this week? No. I mean, I feel like half the time Arians is trolling us with this, but uh, real quick before we move on, I went and looked it up. Fitzpatrick actually did sign a two-year contract. They can get out of it after this year with $1.5 million of dead cap, Okay, but he is their contract in 2020 for 5.5 million and for a quarterback that's peanuts. So if they decide yeah. they like him, they can move on uh, with him. But Tampa Bay, I mean, I swear to God, OJ Howard owners probably standing on a ledge drinking after Cameron Brake gets 14 targets two weeks ago. Yeah. And now all <laughs> of a sudden it's like, oh no, OJ Howard's my man. Yeah. So is Rashad Perriman. You have to start Evans and Godwin. The Buccaneers are quickly joining a list of teams that are just depressing to think about. This isn't quite as bad as the Jets, but uh, 
in terms of never knowing what you're going to get, it's just about as frustrating, especially going into these crucial matchups. You know, because if you get a 336 from Mike Evans or like a 240 from Chris Godwin, that's going to tank uh, a playoff game for you. Yeah, unfortunately, that that's kind of the worst part about it is at this point they're just so talented you can't bench them. But in the back of your head, you know when you play them, like hey, could this be the week that they do the same thing and only get four catches for fifty yards and cost me my matchup? Speaking of costing people their matchups, Nick Foles uh, gets benched in this one after losing two fumbles and throwing an interception. Goes just seven of fourteen for ninety three yards before he gets pulled for Minshew mania. He goes back in. 16 and 27, 147 yards, one touchdown, and one interception. Minshew comes in as QB 23 with 11.7 points. Foles QB 32 with three points. Leonard Fournette, we thought, would struggle in this game. Tampa Bay still the number one defense against the run. 38 yards on 14 carries, but does get 53 yards on nine catches, so he does still come in at RB 18 with 13.6 points. You know, middle tier RB2, that's still not bad. Uh, and then D.D. Westbrook is actually the wide receiver that has a good day here. 60 yards, one touchdown, five receptions. Dennis called it. He said he thought uh, Westbrook was going to have a good game. I was going with Chark. Chark just 47 yards on two catches here. Uh, it's Minshew Mania. Obviously, when we when I wrote up the show sheet, we had not it had not been announced yet. It's already been announced. He is starting next Sunday as well. So we know Minshew Mania is back. Going to be really interesting to see what they do with Nick Foles now because they paid him a lot of money. Kind of feels like the the at this point time that the time that this happened, the St. Louis Rams all over again. What do we do though with these running back or running backs, the wide receivers? Because you know you're starting Leonard Fournette, even when he's going up in a tough matchup, he's still coming through for you because of how much he's doing in the receiving game as well. But Didi and Chark, are you just playing both of them every week? Uh, obviously, really, Chark has only had two bad games over the entire season, so I can't imagine you're benching him after a two catch outing. No, and. I- you know, I think you're playing both depending on the options uh, and stuff that you have. With Minshew coming back in, he seemed to really have uh, more of a connection with Shark. We didn't see that yesterday. Uh, seemed to be going really good with Westbrook. I think the one that's the odd man out that you can now kind of safely ignore is Chris Conley, who seemed to have more of a connection when Foles was in there. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that. And uh, you know, Shark, like I said, I, I think is just unfortunately one of those games he's only had. Uh, just going through it here now, he's had, well, I mean, four games with uh, with single digits. So that's not great, but most of them right around the eight mark. So you're still at least somewhat coming through for you. Uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, but I think Minshew coming back is just going to continue to help him. Needed him to have a better game because I needed him to continue to push Amari Cooper down that board, uh, but that did not happen for me. So... That does it for us today. We will be back tomorrow to break down the rest of the games and the Monday night football night uh, game that's on tonight that should be a good one between the Minnesota Vikings and the Seattle Seahawks. Matt, as always, thank you for joining me. I hope you get better and have a great night, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Yep, talk to you soon. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got your pop on there. Oh, they tackle him at the